0: Horsing Around Draft Aftermath, fifth-year option edition. I'm Andrew Mason. Andy Lindall is here across the table from me. Yeah, pleasure tell me something.
1: Why, why, yes, it is always a pleasure. Why does it feel like in May lately? You and I have recorded at this location a couple of times, and yes. I swear it's been sunnier and warmer than it is right now in May back when we did it in, say, March a couple of times.
0: I'm pretty sure that when one of the times we did it in March that it was 70-some degrees And I was in an Aloha shirt, and today I'm in a sweater, (laughs) and I'm cold, and it's gray. But we need the rain, and that's good. I'm glad it's not snowing. It's a little too late for snow, but we need the rain. It was a little miserable taking my kid to school this morning when it was raining and walking her through the, the water, but we came out okay.
1: Okay, if there is snow Thursday morning, which I've seen is a possibility in some of the weather apps... You can blame Andrew Mason for saying it's not going to snow. If it snows, it's on you. All right, that's fine. You whammied everybody. Mace, the weather
0: forecaster. We've been forecasting, speaking of forecasting, Uh, we've been forecasting the draft for months now. So here we are sitting here in the wake of the draft. The Broncos are in a different world than they were this time last week. They drafted Bradley Chubb. One of the after effects of that was Shane Ray did not have his fifth-year option picked up. They've bolstered the wide receiver position You've presumably got a young pair that you can develop To eventually perhaps be the next generation of receivers How does this team look different to you now than it did seven days ago?
1: Well, I think I see options for dy- dynamic playmaking on the offense, which I'm not sure I saw before. Unfortunately, and if they had it, they didn't show up last year. Mm-hmm. I see, a, I hope, a competent punt return to Sean Hamilton, the kid out of Penn State, who also I think can be, I honestly, Andrew, I feel like he can be the player that they hoped Isaiah McKenzie could be. And I hope Isaiah McKenzie takes that as a challenge and makes himself better.
0: Isaiah McKenzie isn't nearly the size of of Deshaun Hamilton. And one thing about Deshaun Hamilton, he worked on punts at the Senior Bowl, but he really didn't do it at Penn State. So while it's a tool that he can sharpen and work on, he's not necessarily going to be the answer as we sit here right now. Could be Deshaun Hamilton. Jordan Taylor is still going to be in the mix. Philip Lindsay. Lindsay is going to get a look on punt returns. And with 4.39 speed, he brings something unique to the table as See, well. And,
1: and I'll tell you this. I, you and I, I think, both are big fans of Sunshine. You won't find a more mm-hmm. gregorious kid. He's a fun athlete. He's had a great story. He's fun to cover. He's a fun interview. There's so much that I like about Jordan Taylor. Um, I've had hour-long shows with him where he's been fantastic. Yes. But the reality is, with those hip surgeries... And, or hip surgery, whatever it is. And
0: it's different for him than Matt Paradis. The surgeries are similar, but you're talking about a guy who relies much more on his explosion as a wide receiver than Matt Paradis working at center.
1: Well, and remember, Rod Smith, now I don't know if there's similar injuries, but I know Rod Smith had a hip problem yeah. and had hip surgery and was never the same. Now, I, I'm not saying that Jordan Taylor won't be. Rod Smith had that late in his career, in the September of his career, if you will. But... Um, look, the reality is they just drafted Cortland Sutton. You've got a lot of big bodies, whereas all of a sudden Jordan Taylor is not, not, you know, the only second big body that profiles well at the Demarius Thomas position. Yes. So I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see can he do enough because as you laid out last year, you don't want a guy to be just a punt returner. No. You don't want a guy to be just a kick returner You want them to give you other options because the rosters are just too small these days. You can only have so many actives. So it'll be curious to see the battle that Jordan Taylor finds himself in this spring or, or even this uh, summer, and I'm not counting him out yet. But I do think he's a little bit on notice. I think the draft class from last year is on notice. Cortland Sutton, to me, is a guy that if the route running can improve enough... I can't wait to see a package, maybe even in the red zone, where you've got Demarius and Cortland and Emmanuel
2: and And one of those tight ends out there.
1: Jake Butt. That all of a sudden is a uh, a scary kind of proposition for an opposing defense. You
0: could go empty backfield with two tight ends, and the reason why I bring that up, Troy Fumagalli in the fifth round, you're smirking at me because I'm bringing up the Wisconsin No, I kind of look. I feel... and understand you about thing. him a lot
1: on your show. I do. Here's the thing. I, I'll interrupt, and I want you to and finish like. your point. You're the one. It's because of you <laughs> that I'm on to him. You have to understand, You're welcome. Him, Andrew. Yes. And here's the thing. I've covered this league for 20 years, all right? I've had a talk show for about a decade. I've been doing talk shows or draft coverage or whatever. This is the first time that some guy that we've talked about, as one of those later-round guys, like beyond the first round, that's actually showed up on our team. Yeah. And I feel... I feel we have a kinship with this kid, all right? I'm not smiling because I'm laughing at you. I'm just kind of proud when you mention the name because we kind of told people about him. I feel like Bronco Country got fired up, and here he is.
0: Yeah, you Fumigali and the guy that we were on on our show was Deshaun Hamilton out of Penn State, seeing him at the Shrine game and then getting the invite to the Senior Bowl a week later and doing great down there. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to our station the last few months, you know exactly who Troy Fumagalli and Deshaun Hamilton are.
1: And I think and it's there cool. They, there they are. So now they have to make the team. we are not <laughs> letting him get cut. But,
0: yeah, I like the idea of Fumagalli as a guy who can, if you watch him at a tight end, watch some of the routes he runs at Wisconsin, really good on that little five, six yard out, just cut and then go out and get open. He's had some success with that. Jake Butt can run similar types of routes. Deshaun Hamilton's a good route runner, and I think it's interesting with Cortland Sutton. He's more raw, but some of the younger guys you have in there in Jake Butt in Troy Fumagalli, in Deshaun Hamilton. They're precise route runners. They use their head motions to kind of sell their fakes a bit and generate separation. It's a different template than just kind of the height, weight, speed guy. And that's why this competition this summer is going to be so fascinating, kind of taking receiver and tight end, putting it together, because you have these route runners, but then you have like a Carlos Henderson, Isaiah McKenzie, who rely on quickness and straight line speed. In the case of Carlos Henderson, more than what they do as a route runner and not all of them are gonna make it and I would say probably like you mentioned Carlos Henderson Isaiah McKenzie 2017 draft class they're on notice and probably those two receivers are at the top of that list.
1: Well and I hope they can answer the bell. I'm not counting out any second year no, kid. No. I'm still intrigued to see what Carlos Henderson can do being around the environment. They had very high hopes for him. Vance Joseph still mentioned him during the offseason you know, now, again, I, I'm not going to brush under the rug that the start was rough last year, and it everybody...
0: Seemed, every time they introduced something more complicated, it seemed like it got worse for him. He had some moments early in OTAs, but then you get to training camp, and he had a, I think he had a good day, like, one of the first couple of days without pads, Then he start putting pads on. And it was like every time you tried to expand things out from the core, he struggled to handle it.
1: Well, hopefully that's not the case this year, you know, because... I think, look, if nothing else, you can use them as a special teamer. Kickoff returner, man. You know, and I've seen the Broncos. It's not, we act like they need one slot receiver. I can remember back in the day, you used two slot receivers. And again, if a tight end doesn't work out, you're going to have to spread out defenses some other way. Yeah. And that can be with two slot receivers. The bottom line, though, you already mentioned it. What I love about this draft class, there are two things. And I think they would go off your rankings, our buddy Jeff Legwald. I think you could pull up any rankings Mm -hmm. you want to. And it seemed like every pick, they were getting value. Every pick was a guy that was getting picked later than they thought. And I never saw any description that said, this guy's a reach.
0: No reaches in this draft. Like, I can recall last year, for example, Brendan Langley. When his name came up, he was a lot lower on my list. And when he popped up late third round, that was a bit of a surprise to me. I didn't look at any of those picks this year and say, oh, that's really out of their range. Maybe... No, a dozen or two dozen picks later perhaps but once you get in around three round four round five that's relatively nothing Fumagalli in the fifth I thought that was great value I thought he could go anywhere from four to five Josie Jewell could have gone day two he snuck into day three the interesting thing there is that Josie Jewell and Shaq Griffin both on the board and the Broncos went for Jewell guy who had more tackles always around the ball not as fast in terms of straight line speed. I'm fascinated to see how those two develop, Shaq Griffin of course going to Seattle and Josie Jewell going to Denver how they end up fitting in their defenses. But yeah none of these picks you looked at and said oh, whoa, uh, that's a bit of a reach. Uh, That's not there with this class and I think part of it is looking at the overall template the Broncos used in this class It's going for Experienced guys, high-character guys, leadership-type
1: guys. Team captain guys. Team
0: captains all around. And every one of those draft picks, even the guys that had a year of eligibility left with Sam Jones and Cortland Sutton, they both graduated, and they'd both been on their campus for four years and had a shirt year. It's a very mature draft class.
1: Well, and you need that because you, you'd said you look at the two previous draft classes, and I'll just go by the first-round picks— Paxton Lynch, Garrett Bowles, their two draft classes, they were kind of the athletic triangle, high weight, height, weight, speed, you know, freakish athletes, trying to add more speed, so on and so forth, I think, and you know what, I guess, I am indicting the last two classes, but the bottom line is, you went for guys that I think you know are going to grind, that know how to watch tape, maybe do work on their own, I think you went back towards that and you needed to. And I think the Moroccos aren't the only team dealing with the challenge of trying to figure out what players know how to kind of do work on their own. Because in the modern NFL, you know what? Back 10 years ago, they were more than happy to hold your hand and blast you through tape and make sure you were doing what you're supposed to do because they had time to they do had it. Time, now they exactly. don't. Exactly.
0: Now, it's, it's, if you don't do it on your own, you're toast. You have to be a self starter. I think, like saying it's a millennial thing, I think that's crap. Yeah, quite that's, frankly, <laughs> there are hard workers and loafers in every generation. It's just a human nature thing. Not everyone is wired the same way, but you do have to go and pursue knowledge, pursue your study of the game, work on, your, craft. on your own. You know, whether it's spending extra time watching the iPad or You're going and getting those workouts away from the facility in February and March. Or even when the day is done during off-season work, you're going and getting extra work in in the afternoon sometimes. You're going and working on that Friday that's your day off. All of this is is stuff that you have to do. But then with the limited time there, you've got to make sure you're working on the right stuff, and so you've got to be in the coach's ear saying, okay, what do I, how do I get better? What do I need to focus on? What can I do when I get away from here to continue my improvement? I, these guys in this draft class all check off the box of that,
1: starting with Bradley Chubb. Hey, the things I've heard about Bradley Chubb, and I guess just to offer the fans some insight as to why people think he's going to work, and why people think he's gonna be okay. Because, you know, let's be honest about it. Lineman a lot of times and he'll be more he'll be the stand up linebacker, he won't be a classic lineman. But not sometimes, unless they
0: ever convert to a four three. Right. Which look from four three to three four. Changes do happen over the long haul.
1: He will have his hand in the dirt though, likely when they go nickel rush. And you got and Vaughn Miller does that too, where they go down, you get the four down linemen, you've got mm-hmm. the extra defensive backs. Um, and believe me, as John Elway pointed out Look, you're going to be in that 50% of the time, Mm -hmm. so that's why you need all those pass rushers. Um, but to me, from what I understand about Bradley Chubb, this is a guy that not only has an A move but a B move. Tyler Columbus was telling us how you never know what you're going to get from him. He's seen tape where there's moves every game. I've talked to guys. i talked to two guys in particular that would know that the, another great thing that Chubb brings is he actually studies really hard. He's got the high motor that he's known for, but he actually knows what you're trying to do with your protection. And I had two separate sources that are scouting sources tell me What's amazing about this guy is he's very good at knowing where you're trying to draw the double team to and where you're going to funnel into, and making sure he doesn't fall into that trap. So he's smart and he's skilled. That's why we're so excited about him.
0: And he's very good at adapting to what kind of quarterback he's going against. Some of the film I love most on Bradley Chubb is him going against Lamar Jackson and tracking him down in space. He's 269 pounds, so he can make those plays in terms of pass rush with power moves, but then you see him when he can get into that fifth gear in the open field, and he can track down a quarterback like Lamar Jackson, who has better time speed than him, but he's able to to, to rope him down, if not in the backfield, get him for a minimal gain. And you know, Lamar Jackson, he, he's not going to be the last quarterback like that that comes in. Others are going to follow that are of the athletic mold, and. And what Chubb brings is the ability to go inside, but also be able to make those kinds of plays in space. It's a pretty deadly blend for opponents to have to counter when you have that kind of speed in a 269-pound player. That's why one comparison I've heard is to Devian Clowney, except Chubb is a bit better in terms of his classroom, film room work.
1: Oh, his motor... When we talked to the NC State guys, and as you know, we were doing the Make the Case for series. That was where Troy Fumagalli popped up on our show, and we did one for Bradley Chubb as well. Mm-hmm. The NC State guys told us, it's amazing. He never takes a playoff. Mm-hmm. He's always working hard. He's he's a film rat, which is good, because I've never heard of a defensive lineman or linebacker rush guy being this way. So that's You'll fit right in on
0: the defense because you go to the secondary in particular, and Chris Harris Jr. is a film rat. And Bradley Roby has learned how to be a film rat.
1: Well, and it's going to be, and, and Vaughn Miller, I know, has been pushing guys. I know this, and, and one of the guys we got to now get to, if you don't mind, is Shane Ray. Yes. Vaughn Miller, I think, was asking more out of other guys last year, and they weren't always so quick to follow. Um, I think Vaughn Miller was trying to lead in his own way, and I I just had heard stories that guys were a little reluctant to join him for the extra workout or for the extra film session. Well, with, with Vaughn and... and bradley this year i don't think anybody else is going to have any choice but to go ahead and put in the extra work whether you want to or not and i hope shane ray maybe knows that you know these are the little things that maybe didn't get your fifth year option picked up and hopefully he excels as that and they have to franchise it because i've liked i've liked a lot of, we just talked about how enjoyable it's been to cover uh jordan taylor i could say the same thing about shane ray oh yeah but the sack numbers certainly aren't where they want him to be for a first round pick
0: well last year obviously he had the wrist injury that cost him half the season. But eight sacks in 2016, that was a good season. You were hoping for more. The other thing looking at we, Shane Ray, thats it's kind of beyond his control. He has trouble keeping weight on, even in a year when he's healthy. Now, last year he had the wrist injury, so he couldn't lift. And so the weight drops in the 220-pound range. But even in years when he's healthy, it's a struggle for him to stay at two th- at 240 or even 235 sometimes you wonder if sometimes that limits the kind of player that Shane Ray can be especially in terms of being an every down guy who is stout against the run Shaq Barrett bigger edge guy is much stronger at the point of attack than Shane Ray the Broncos have Shaq Barrett for one more year and then he's an unrestricted free agent next year so it's going to be fascinating here because I can't see a scenario in which Barrett and Ray are both back. You're right. But I can see a scenario in which one of them is back, and I think a lot of that's going to have to do with which one earns more playing time and then does the
1: most with it. You know what I think could be interesting? Because I could see them, as you said, realizing it's going to be like Derek Wolf and Malik Jackson, right? Mm-hmm. And so for me, I can see them, them. Can't keep them both. But you identify the one that's probably going to be more cost-effective, shall I put it, which likely would be Shaq Barrett in this scenario. To me, if Shane Ray's going out there and having a Shane Ray type of season, he's on double-digit sacks and whatever, I don't think he lets you sign him. He's going to want to hit the market. He's going to want to go get the pass rusher money.
0: And that cost is prohibitive, especially when you have other things you want to do next year. You probably have to look at signing Bradley Roby to a long-term deal if he does what you expect him to do this season. So... If Bradley Roby is chewing up what could be thirteen million a year, perhaps for a top-line corner on the market next season, then you're going to have to make some other moves just to get Shane Ray in. If you tagged him, let alone anything else you might want to do, depending on how this season goes.
1: Well, and what happens with Chris Harris? Don't forget, Chris Harris can't be too far off. And and to your point. If all of a sudden Bradley Roby's making more money, how does that sit with Chris Harris if he's still the better corner on the team?
0: Well, I I said this on Wednesday morning on 1st and 10 at 10, that if you give Bradley Roby the extension and and sign him to a big deal after this year, to me, you call Chris Harris Jr. in the room the next day and say, okay, we're going to pay you at least what Bradley Roby is making for the next four years.
1: And for for everybody wondering why they would, go and draft a Denzel Ward, which ultimately they didn't have to do. I'm, I think we're both a little surprised Cleveland went the route they did. Yes. But this is one of the reasons why, because had you had a Denzel Ward because Chubb wasn't available, then Ward gives you the option to maybe reset the money position, reset the finances in that secondary. Now, right now, we'll see how it plays out. It's going to be an interesting watch next year because, as you said, sometimes you can't keep them all. you know. And the thing that has made this Broncos defense so special, Andrew, as you all know, We've talked about it on this show, or on the shows, on the podcast, whatever. They can rush and they can cover. But you got to have three, four guys to be able to do that in the secondary to be able to cover. And you got to have three, four guys to be able to rush, and they may lose one from each position next year.
0: Yeah, and you've already lost Keith Tlaib, trading him to the Rams. So cornerback is already at a position where you do not have the depth that you did last year. Look, I think Roby's going to do fine playing every down. I'm not worried about Chris Harris Jr. and Bradley Roby. It's when you get to Tremaine Brock, who didn't play very much last year. You're counting on him being what he was a couple of years ago with San Francisco. And then you need somebody, one of these young guys, to develop. You need Brendan Langley to figure it out. Marcus Rios was a little bit of a diamond in the rough last year. Is there something else there you can work with? And then Isaac Yadam, who you picked in the third round. One of these guys needs to show that at minimum they can be What Kayvon Webster was while he was in Denver, that fourth guy who, if there's an injury and he has to play extensively, can step up and deliver when you need him to. Think about, I think, the uh, Raider game in 2015 when Tlaib was gone and Webster had to step in, something like that. See,
1: it is funny because um, we actually, I, I used the Kayvon Webster reference to someone today. That's the exact thing I said. You don't have to necessarily get to Bradley Roby's level, but you have to at least be Kayvon Webster. Mm -hmm. And I think with the the height, the measurables of Yadam, I think he can be. I like the size of the kid. And I like his Boston College pedigree from what we've seen with Simmons.
0: Well, the interesting thing with Simmons, he's very close with Justin Simmons. So Yadam is going to walk into that building understanding the level he has to hit in terms of diligence. And attention to detail because you know that Justin Simmons has told him exactly what he needs to do, exactly what to expect from being around Darian Stewart, Chris Harris Jr., Bradley Roby. what they ha- what they expect. Yadam walks in eyes wide open knowing exactly what he needs to do. And while Yadam and Brendan Langley have some comparisons in terms of athleticism, I think Langley coming from Lamar, whereas Yadam comes from B.C., ACC going against top receivers most weeks, draftable receivers most weeks. I think he's going to be walking. I think he's going to walk in at a higher level than Brennan Langley did.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Unfortunately, I think that's kind of that's kind of an easy thing for him to do just because Langley was switching positions. I'm excited, man. I'm excited to see this rookie class. And I, I guess one quick clip point of clarification: they've got their rookie. Is it a symposium kind of for them or is it a camp next weekend? They're not doing much on the field stuff anymore. I would right? actually
0: call it rookie orientation. Right. They they uh, don't
1: they don't like the on-the-field stuff because of the injuries in the past, go right? Go back to
0: Jeff Hierman in 2015. That was
1: Dante the, Fowler, who I don't think got his option picked up it, either.
0: Exactly. Dante Fowler, no option picked up. He was injured right there at rookie minicamp. Rookie minicamp is one of those things that is going away in favor of a weekend that allows the rookies to orient themselves, get accustomed to what to expect in the NFL. But again, it's still not necessarily practice, but look, the rookies are going to be here soon. They're gonna be working with the team right after that. I got to ask you this. when do you think Bradley Chubb starts?
1: Week one? I hate I'm not trying to knock Shane or Shaq, but he's a big guy playing linebacker that I just think his work ethic is going to take him over the top. I don't think you draft a guy at five to sit him much. That's the point I
0: come back to. Now that being said, we know there could be ups and downs. Remember Vaughn Miller is a rookie? in the Charger game, actually got benched from every down work in the second half, working only in sub-packages because he was struggling against the run, but he learned from that. He figured it out and was off like a rocket ship after that. I think Bradley Chubb, yeah, there may be some ups and downs, but I think he'll figure it out quickly. Before we go, going to turn to the league for a second, or a few minutes, I should say, and we've got to talk about the proposed changes on oh, yeah. kickoffs. Now, Some of these, they're going to be voted on later on this month when the owners have their May meeting. But the competition committee was working on kickoffs, and here's what they're talking about from a player safety meeting that took place Wednesday morning. Likely eliminating the two-man wedge on kickoff returns. Only three players allowed deep on kickoff returns and no running start. For the team that is kicking off Mark Murphy of the competition committee tells Judy Batista of NFL Network that there will be quote a short leash to see if these new rules can reduce injuries before eliminating the kickoff entirely and of course concussions have been an issue on kickoffs Murphy said players are five times as likely to suffer concussions on kickoffs as on running or passing plays
1: I don't know what to tell you other than we'll see Andrew We'll see about that, and we'll see about this targeting rule as it's now being talked about. I don't know. I think the NFL has to because it's interesting. Troy Vincent said yesterday that they're not going to get rid of it, but they are going to make some changes because you and I both know from the player's side of things, they know how that's that's how guys win jobs is kick, kick return, Ask Terrell kick Davis. coverage. yeah. So they don't want it going away because that's how sometimes you make an impression, especially with lesser reps, as we've talked about, actually full speed and in – with contact, so I think the players aren't going to give this up. I think it's something else that's ultimately going to be decided by the new CBA, and all I can say is wait and see. I, I mean, I wish I could give you a better answer. I don't know how you feel about it, Andrew. But the bottom line is, we love this game for a reason, and it is the physical. It's the physical nature of it. It's not something you can go recreate in a park. It's not something you can go recreate in a gym. I think it's why we have to watch it. And the more changes you make to it, I, I am curious to see how the viewing public accepts it.
0: That being said, kickoffs, they've already started to emphasize them. Moving the touchback to the 25 did result in a reduction in returns. I wonder if the standing start for players on the kicking team, rather than getting the five-yard or so run-up before the kick, I wonder if this is actually going to basically neutralize the effect that they wanted to have when they moved the touchbacks on kickoffs to 25. The effect they wanted was fewer returns, fewer instances of a dangerous play, and it worked. But aren't some teams going to look at how players are getting downfield, examine where those players are usually when the kick is fielded, and say, oh, my guy is three yards deep, but... All these guys are at the 35, 38-yard line. We're going to run this out.
1: You know what Shelton may have to do? Because you make a great point, and we saw it with the little, pot, little pooch kicks to try to get guys to return it because the coaches didn't want to even give up the extra five yards yes. on the touchback last year, which the NFL put in to encourage touchbacks. Mm-hmm. I think you need to reward if a kicker can drive it out of the end zone, you start at the 15, or you start at the 20. But there has to be some incentive for the kicking team not to let you return the football. And there just isn't any right now, not with moving it up to 25.
0: I've long been in favor of the Rouge from the CFL. They have one point for a touchback. I say one point if your kicker on a kickoff knocks it through the uprights. Now, there is so much to disseminate in regards to kickoff returns, and we're going to get more into that as the month goes on, especially after the owners meet to discuss whether to ratify some of the changes on kickoff returns or not. But before we go, going to check in with a Broncos legend, Steve Foley, the all-time franchise leader in interceptions, joined us on 1st and 10 on Friday. And Steve Atwater and I had a chance to ask him about today's players, some things from the past, and how what's going on with the Broncos and at the safety position as a whole now stack up compared to his day. So please take a listen. We've got, we're going to be in the presence of another Broncos legend, Steve Foley, the team's all-time leader in interceptions. Mr. Foley, how are you today, sir?
3: Steve and Andrew, how y'all doing? Doing great, doing Steve. doing great,
0: man. We're happy to have you on. Thanks for coming, man. Appreciate uh, it.
3: Yep. Glad to be here on. <laughs>
0: well, you know, we, one of the things I was telling Steve, you know, uh, is you, know, you guys are part of a long-term brotherhood at safety going back, you know, even before you, Steve, back to guys like uh, uh, Goose Gonsolin in the 60s. Uh, what do you kind of think looking back at the Broncos' history of safeties and how, it's sort of an under-the-radar thing nationally, but locally. It's one of the strongest threads of Broncos tradition, all they've done at safety over the decades.
3: Well, you know, when you, when you look at that, I'm, I'm pretty amazed at the amount of safeties that have uh, been prolific uh, for, the, for the Broncos. And I don't know why that is, but there's been a ton uh, of great safeties, starting with, uh, with Goose Gonsolin. And uh, I mean, I, I think I got to credit that to the, you know, the Joe Collier era when he was picking a lot of great uh, athletes like Dennis Smith and and uh, Steve Atwater and, and picking all these guys that that turned out to be great safeties. Then we got John Lynch coming over here, and uh, we 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 got a boatload of them. Yeah. I don't know why though.
2: Yeah. So so Steve. In your opinion, how has the safety position changed over the years from from when you played?
3: Well, you, you know, you you look at it, and uh, for a while there, I was pretty amazed at the depth they were playing. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> right. I, twenty I've yards seen deep. He's huh? playing twenty yards deep, and in my mind, you were you were taking them out of the run game, which didn't didn't sit right with me. I mean, if you got a safety there, he's no value to you in the run game. Mm-hmm. By the time he can get there, the, the guy's 10 yards down the field. And uh, I don't know, you know, they, they, uh, I'd, hear, I'd hear guys saying that, well, we don't want to get beat deep. And I said, well, if a guy's got to play 20 yards deep, you got the wrong guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, if he can't play from 12 yards deep and not get beat, you got the wrong guy there, too. So uh, you know some of the safeties, uh, they play them a lot more up on the line. You know that uh, they're more like a linebacker, mm-hmm. but but still this is a big passing game, um, and so you got to have guys that can play play the ball. And Steve, you know this that anticipation uh, makes a huge difference for a safety. Guys, you know they call them playmakers. Uh, but you know, great great athletes that are playmakers, they have a, a level of anticipation for where the ball is going to be. And and if if a player doesn't have that, they usually don't make a lot of plays. You got to you got to kind of feel where the quarterback's going with the ball, what level of pass rush they have on them, whether it's an all out blitz, and you know the the quarterback's going to be pressured into looking quick and throwing and uh, throwing quick, and then you got to be able to get a jump on the ball. I know you had that. I know uh, you had that. what made, <laughs> made you make all those plays.
2: Hey, you had that. Yeah. You're the, the, the Denver Broncos interception leader with 44, man. How, how did you do that? That's, that's that's a lot of interceptions over an 11-year career. What, what were some of the keys that you had in order to, to have that type of anticipation?
3: I, I feel like I had a little bit of a – an edge uh, having played quarterback for eight years through high school and college. And mm-hmm. I didn't play defense till I got to the pros. So when I get a look from a quarterback, it felt like I was back there in processing it in your mind. I'm going, I've seen this. I've done it a thousand times that pump fake or this and that And guy would give me a pump fake and I'm going the other direction right. <laughs> without thinking of it too much, but you kind of know what he was doing. So I th- I think that, that gave me um, a level of anticipation and uh, and knowing when quarterbacks were rattled, whether they were young quarterbacks or seasoned quarterbacks, you know, you're not going to rattle really a Brady or an Aaron Rodgers or certain guys, uh, but there is younger quarterbacks where you know the first look they're going, and you can kind of play off of that, so...
0: It's really I fascinating. Oh, sorry, yeah, Steve. yeah, no, absolutely. It's really fascinating you mentioned that because Cortland Sutton, who the Broncos drafted receiver last week, he is a former safety, so he's kind of making the reverse transition going from defense to offense. But he talks about how being a safety helps him at wide receiver because he kind of understands the way the safety sees the field, what he's looking for. So you think that background is going to help him going forward?
3: Oh, it did. It definitely it definitely helps a player to have played on the opposite side uh, of the ball uh, and knowing what, uh, what the defensive backs have been taught. And, like, for a long time, I was playing corner for the first five years. And as a quarterback, a former quarterback, I was scared to death uh, that they would do a three-step drop because us defensive backs were taught, you see a three-step drop, you stop. Right. It's either mm-hmm. gonna be a hitch, a quick slant. And I used to think if I was a quarterback now slant I'd and go be, I'd be doing slant and go. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like and they never did that when I was in the corner. And I'm like, Whoa, I'm like, that's pretty dangerous, you know. We would stop on a dime uh and get ready for a quick uh uh a quick throw. So the things like that that you're taught as a defensive back that they weren't being taught as a, as offensive players weren't even thinking about. Yeah. But I think it'll help Cortland uh, tremendously. All
2: right. So, uh, Steve, what do you think of the defense? Uh, now we got a, a couple new guys out there, one who we know for sure will, will uh, contribute a significant amount of time, Bradley Chubb, and possibly the same thing with uh, Josie Jewell. Uh, what, what do you think about the defense as it's – as it stands right now?
3: Well, Steve, I know you'd agree with me on this. The better pass rush you can get and create on an opposing team, the less time you have to cover people. So, and that's always a the best pass defense starts with a great rush, so you said, great pass rush.
2: So you're saying the secondary, they're, they're, they're high-fiving, huh? <laughs> they
3: they, 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 they got to be happy. I'd, I'd be high-fiving back there going, man, we put pressure on a quarterback. And hopefully, Bradley Chubb. It looks like he could be another Demarcus Ware type of impact player, mm-hmm. opposite of uh, Vaughn Miller. And I tell you what, that uh, and you had Shane Ray in the mix. That could be uh, really, really good for the. I love the pick that they made. Yeah. So,
0: Steve Foley, all-time Broncos leader in interceptions, joining us here. On first and ten, ten on, on Orange and Blue, seven sixty. When you look back on your career, the forty-four picks, you talk about the impact of the pass rush. How much did the pass rush up front from that front seven in the Orange Crush days make possible what you did on the back end?
3: It it, it makes it, it makes a lot of difference. You know, we had we had good speed. Tom Jackson and Bob Swenson, outside linebackers, both in the four fives, so they could hit that edge pretty good. And uh, and we we had a, a top notch rush defense, um, which didn't allow much much in the rushing game. And if you and if you can't run the ball, you're not very effective at play action pass. So that helped. And Joe Collier had a bunch of different defenses that I used to think were just incredible, especially inside the 20, where you were playing more like basketball. Uh, you know, you were playing three on two. And you didn't know who you were covering until the release of the receivers dictated that, and they didn't know what they were running into, and the quarterbacks I know for sure didn't know who was covering who. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, that helped provide a lot of interceptions as well.
2: And Steve, uh, you moved from we just mentioned from corner to safety. You played uh, cornerbacks, it looked like for four and a half years, five years, and then you moved over to the safety positions and. You know, regardless of the position that you play, you still got lots of interceptions. Uh, You know, we've been talking about it on our show here that we feel like at some point Chris Harris will be a guy who will be able to make a seamless transition from the cornerback to safety position because he's such a solid tackler. Uh, You know, he doesn't leave his feet a lot. And, you know, he's just a a real solid player. What are your thoughts on that?
3: Um, You know what? Uh, There's – there's guys that play safety that, that don't play corner and they're not suited to it. And there's guys that I've seen that play corner and not really suited for safety. Safety is, uh, uh, I liken it to this at at the corner, you're reactionary. You got to react and, um, and you got to be quick as a cat and Chris Harris is. And uh, in, in the safety position, you got to line up, you got to kind of guess what's coming. You got to be anticipatory. So, uh, you don't know until you until you get there, and um, you know if you can play corner. It's uh, it's a great help when you move to safety because a guy like Chris Harris could play man to man. You can run a lot more uh, blitzes and have your safeties play man to man because they got good coverage skills.
2: And and just,
3: what, uh, hang on, that, and that just, helps.
2: And just so our listeners know. Chris Harris won't be moving to safety anytime soon. He's a he's still one of the best cornerbacks yeah, no, in the league. I'm talking about years absolutely. down the line. <laughs>
3: Abs- absolutely. Absolutely. And uh it's all it's always a good we used to talk about um it's always good to start on the corner because you got a lot more time before you're out the door if you can go to safety, but once you start at safety, it's really, over. <laughs> Yeah, you, you you really can't move to corner once you've been playing safety three or four or five years. It's it's a very it, it almost never happens.
0: Yeah, and we talk often about how the game at safety is different because of the rules changes and uh, you know you know, trying to get helmet to helmet contact out of the game. But also, I mean, you look at you had forty four interceptions in your career, and those guys that get that many interceptions, it's way down. The interception rates have dropped because of a lot more of the precision controlled passing. So, I mean, do you look at your record of 44 picks and think that one might be one that stands for many, many years?
3: I don't think that. I never think that because all records, I mean, they they get broken. Uh, The, the, the likelihood uh, it's tougher to stay in one place for a long time. Mm -hmm. And that's the limiting factor, the biggest factor, not so much the passing game, because I I would say this, and Steve, I'd like to hear your opinion on this, is that I would have loved to have played in this passing game because it seems like quarterbacks just put the ball up and expect the receivers to get the ball. Mm. And when you're just throwing it up for a jump ball, I'm like, Oh, that would be incredible. <laughs> it, hey, especially line I'm up like, at twenty yeah, yards, huh? <laughs> no, no, well, I wouldn't line up at twenty yards, but I'd be like, Hey, throw it up. It's a jump ball. I'm I'm happy with that. I'm six two. This guy's six two. And, you know, I and I can see when the guys are six five. But there's a lot of, you know, six foot wide receivers out there, too, yeah. that they throw the ball up and count on guys not really looking for ball, yep. and uh, especially down the seams. And I, I think that's an advantage to guys if, if, they're, uh, if they're watching the ball, if they play the ball. Yeah. And there are guys that play the ball well, and some guys play the receiver and don't really look for ball a lot. And those receivers will make a lot more catches.
2: Yeah, No, I'm with you. I mean, I, I would I would have loved it to have been that way back when we played as well. Um,
3: yeah, especially, especially, Steve, at your size, you'd have had a, a, a big advantage if they're just throwing the ball up and going, I think my receiver will go get the ball. You'd be like, you know, they weren't throwing the ball unless they thought you were beat.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I had one. Uh, it was kind of like that in the Super Bowl, and I dropped it. So, um <laughs> Didn't help me out <laughs> Uh
3: We've all had our share of, of drop passes. That's why we were on the defensive side, right? <laughs> instead of playing tight end or wide receiver.
2: Yeah. So, Steve, what, what do you think about the addition of uh, of Case Keenum and there not being any quarterback controversy uh, at this at this point?
3: Well, I, I like him as a, as a quarterback. He did a great job for uh, Minnesota. And, uh, you know, I like there not being really a, uh, a quarterback controversy for the, for the rest of the team. I think it adds some confidence to the whole team, and everybody can focus on, on their position and on what we do instead of worrying about uh, who's going who's gonna to step up and be the leader of the team. Right. You know, I saw something on the news last night where I think it was uh Emmanuel Sanders that said when he steps in the huddle, you sense his leadership ability. He expects things to go well and uh he exudes that confidence, which is ninety percent of it. Yep. Being confident in what you're doing and, and having a swagger, uh, mm-hmm. knowing that hey, we should be good uh and when teams think they're good, and you've played on, on Super Bowl teams, Steve, when you know you're good,
0: oh.
2: you
3: play like it. Yep. When you think you're good, you play like it.
0: Yep. Is that kind of what Craig Morton brought when he walked in back in 77?
3: Yes. Uh, Craig was a big part of that. But more than anything, Red Miller brought that mm-hmm. to the rest of the team. Yeah. yeah. And he said, I'm used to beating the Raiders. You guys <laughs> aren't. But we're going to start doing that here. And uh, and I think we just uh, assumed the leadership qualities that Red Miller uh, brought in, and the toughness that he brought in. We started to play like that.
0: Outstanding stuff, Steve. Uh, Legend Atwater, you got one more for Steve. Yeah, I was gonna say, well, what what are you up to
2: these these days, Steve? What how can the, how can the fans and you know all of our listeners uh, reach out to you if you have any type of business or anything going on? What's what's up?
3: You know what I'm. Uh, I'm involved in a uh, – was one of the founders of an oil and gas company uh, that we've been around since uh, really 2012, 2013, a company called PetroShare.
2: Okay. And
3: we're drilling for oil and gas right here in northern Colorado. And uh, that's what I'm doing on a daily basis, keeping me busy, probably more busy than I want to be. But I love it. I love the people in the business. And uh, – um I might have to come That's work for
2: doing. you on the weekends then, man. <laughs> 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 no,
3: hey, what I got hey, I got I got to the alumni meeting the other day though. I always got time for those.
2: I know, I missed this this month, man. And I, you
3: missed it. Yeah, yeah. I just I didn't want to bring that up on air, but
2: I'll be at the next. <laughs> one. We're we're keeping him too busy over here, I think.
3: <laughs> oh look, he's busy.
2: <laughs> oh, man it's, it's busy.
3: That's, that that's a busy job there
2: no it's all it's all fun stuff though I mean talking I about know. football I mean this they it get any better than this
3: and and I can't believe we're already back to football it just seems like the Super Bowl was over and I'm glad get back to Otas and all that and talking football love yeah. it
0: turn the page on last year on the next year bigger things ahead for the Broncos Steve Foley really appreciate you coming on yeah, man thanks, thanks a Steve. lot thanks for your time.
2: Thank you, Steve and Andrew. All right, Appreciate talk, it. talk to you soon. Get a fan my best. Give Cindy a hug for
0: me. Thanks to Steve and Steve. Thanks to Steve Foley for coming on, and thanks to Steve Atwater for setting that up with his fellow Broncos, legendary safety. That's it for this week. Talk to you next week. It's Rookie Camp Week. Next week we will get our first in-person look at the rookies as they make their Broncos debuts. We'll talk to you then.